Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Galatians 5.22 is where we have been camped out. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, so let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us walk in the Spirit, and as we've said in the last few weeks, this discovery that the fruit of the Spirit is a singular thing. It's not fruits of the Spirit. You don't get a few of them, or you don't get them in, in, in differing measures. You either have the fruit of the Spirit, which is the whole cluster, or you have none of it. Now, this isn't to say that human effort isn't good. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't grow in your own ability to have patience, but your ability to have patience isn't the same thing as the patience of God flowing through you. And so for us, we want to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, right? And so we want to know this kind of thing, this kind of supernatural ability to be like Jesus in the world. John says, you are like him in this world. How is that possible? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you, and if you'll let him, he'll actually bring you to a place where his life can flow through you. And so we want to do that, and we want to turn... um, the idea of self-help spirituality on its head. We don't like work harder, try more, do better. You know, so if gentleness is something you can do, I will just tell you, this is my nature. I'm an Enneagram eight and in my flesh, I will sit in front of your face and say, be gentle. Coffee's over. That's it. That's all we need. I don't need to hear any of your problems. You're like, I struggle with being gentle. I just, just be gentle then. That's it. Be patient. What, do you, what else do you need? Just do, just do it, right? It's like Nike, Michael Jordan, you know, faith. Just do it. But we know it's, it's not that simple, right? And we know that there's different ways where we're like, oh, I really exercise patience in this, and then I'm really impatient in that. That just means we're in our own strength. And yet God has something for us that allows people to do things that they never could have done apart from him. Jesus really interestingly made seven famous I am statements across the Gospel of John. These statements were significant due to their connection to the Old Testament revelation of God's name, right? I am. Jesus was connecting his nature, his ministry, his identity to the Father in the way that nobody else had done before. This was really important. Yahweh, I am. The words Jesus used to to describe himself are important also because they reveal his character and his nature. And not only that, they reveal his mission. What did God send him to do? What did the Father in heaven who sent the Son, what did he send him to do? 
Jesus made these seven statements in the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These are beautiful statements about the Messiah of Israel and about the Son of God. And they're both descriptive and mysterious. That's what I love. They describe something that we can know, but which is uh, beyond knowledge, as Paul says in Ephesians. Right? So you could spend your whole life meditating on the truth of these statements and never get to the end of what they actually mean. Jesus is the word made flesh. He's God, very God, and yet he is fully human. And in all of these descriptions, there's actually something missing. We're missing something. And so luckily Jesus, when we're missing something, he always fills in the blanks. You see, Jesus made another I am statement that's not included in these seven because it is in, in the book of John, or maybe it's not included because we don't quite know how to deal with it. Honestly, as I reflected on this statement, I think it's the most devastating statement in the entire Bible. It will hit you like a ton of bricks if you'll let it. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to listen to these words. Try to picture Jesus. What's he look like? Picture his face. Jesus said these words, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Hear it again, Jesus, from his face, I am gentle and lowly in heart. The only time in the Bible Jesus describes his heart to us, he says, this is what my heart is like for you. It is gentle and comes from a place of being lowly Some of us need a reintroduction to Jesus, who he is, that he isn't angry, disappointed, withholding. He doesn't shame people or guilt them. He says, I am gentle and lowly from heart, lowly of heart. Now, as you think about this, it's fascinating because Jesus says this statement in the future. He says, depart from me, you never, what? knew me. And isn't it fascinating? The people who didn't know him were all the people who were working for him. (laughs) And I wonder many times if they actually misunderstood the Jesus that they saw as the Jesus of miracles and power and crowds and all these things. And they didn't actually understand that Jesus' heart, he said, if you would know me in my heart, you would know I don't care about all of that performance stuff that you do, even if it's really good. If you knew me in my heart, you'd know I'm gentle and lowly. The word gentle is used three other times, this word in the New Testament. The first is in the Beatitude, where Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth, or the gentle 
will inherit the earth. In the prophecy in Matthew 21, um, which is quoting Zechariah 9, that Jesus is the king coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey. He's coming to you gently. (laughs) He didn't come on a steed or in a chariot or with armies. He came to you with 12 people and a bunch of prostitutes and tax collectors and recovering Pharisees on the foal, on the colt of a donkey. And lastly, it's described in Peter's encouragement to wives to nurture more than anything else the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Why did Peter encourage wives to be gentle? Because their king is gentle. The one who saved them, is he's telling you, it's like, hey, in your home, be like Jesus. Take on the beauty of his gentleness in a quiet spirit because you have nothing to earn or prove or gain. You have everything. You have me, I'm gentle, be like me. He's not reactionary or harsh, he's not quick-tempered. Jesus doesn't rush to judgment. I love that he is a gentle king. He is unlike any other king, which is why God told Israel in the Old Testament, believe me, you don't want a king. You don't want a human king because human kings are harsh. And so what did he do? He sent us a gentle king. Not only is he gentle, but he's lowly. What does that mean? It seems in this way to overlap these two things, gentle and lowly at heart, come together to communicate a single reality about who Jesus is, about his heart. And this word lowly is mostly translated humble in the Bible, but it's not humble in the way we think of it. This isn't somebody who shrugs off a claim. This isn't somebody's like, ah, oh, I'm not that great. Look at that person. Oh, no, no. Like, that's what we think. It's like, oh, Jesus is always just shrugging off how cool he was. That's not humble. This literally means someone in the sense of low estate. It speaks of destitution or someone having been thrust down by circumstance. Jesus says, this is what I'm like. I am gentle and I am someone who did what from heaven? He came down. And he took on the low estate of flesh. Not only that, but the low estate of an enfleshed person who was living under occupation. Not only that, but of someone who worked with their hands and was a peasant. He says, this is who I am. If you want to know me, you have to know that I am gentle and I am not important in the world's standards. This is my heart. This is what my heart is like. My heart is not prideful or arrogant or assuming he received on himself the kind of humility that only comes through having nothing like real humility is when you have nothing and you know it he didn't just arrive from heaven he came down All of this is to say that the gentleness of Jesus this thing that he gives his heart makes him the most accessible person you have ever met. He is so open to every single human being who has ever been made. He was open when he was in the flesh and he's open now that he's in heaven. It's it's just like he is. You can access me. Have you ever noticed that the more important somebody gets, the more layers it takes to get through to get to them? 
right? If you've ever had a, an important, um, a meeting with an important person, you have to go through security, you have to go up many floors, you have to go through reception, you have to weave through hallways, you have to go through their executive assistant, then you have to wait until that person is ready. Because of their high estate, they are not accessible. This doesn't mean they're bad people, it just means this is just the way of our world, but this is not how Jesus treats you. When you come to Jesus, you don't have to go through security and assistance and walk. you don't have to jump through all these hoops. You have the thought of him. You have the, the shortest notion that you might be interested in him and he's, he's there. He's at the door for you. You're already invited. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. And this is even more important because the New Testament says that Jesus is our best representation of the Father. What is the Father like? Well, we know the Father is like Jesus. Whatever Jesus is like, that's who the Father is, which means the Father, in his essence, is gentle. He's gentle. I don't know how many of you have heard that in your life, especially in church. Have you heard that the Father is gentle? You have a gentle Father in heaven. And don't get it mixed up with your earthly father because human beings are not gentle. This world we live in is not gentle and we misunderstand when we hear the word father and we instantly think of a father here. That's not how our father in heaven is. He's given us a father who is gentle. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. I love Hebrews. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Wow. Jesus, who is gentle and lowly of heart, is the exact representation of the Father. He is the Father with skin. <laughs> That's it. That's who he is. He has made his reality concrete in his flesh and his blood. So what is God like? What is Jesus like? What is the Holy Spirit like? One person said the most important thought you have is what you think about when you think about God. It's the most important thought you'll ever have. What do you think about when you think about God? Well, this is the key knowledge. What is he like? He is gentle. And not just in theory, not like he is gentle, because sometimes we think people are gentle, but then like in the, in the grand, but then personally we, we get something else. But he's gentle with you. He's gentle with me. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he's gentle with me. In the same way that Jesus was gentle with Zacchaeus, with the woman at the well, with Mary Magdalene, with the woman caught in adultery, with Matthew the tax collector, with Nicodemus the Pharisee, with Pilate, with the criminals who hung on the cross with him, and the, the crowds who cursed and crucified him. Jesus is gentle. Just as he was gentle with all of those people in flesh and blood, he is gentle with me. 
Sometimes we just need to say that in our heart, Jesus, you are gentle with me. You're gentle with me. Hmm. It's interesting, Jesus, when we find him being rough, he's mostly rough with the religious. (laughs) He's rough with the people who are rough with people. And he's gentle with people who know they have nothing to bring to the table. He's gentle with lepers and with the lame, with the blind, and with people whose morality doesn't measure up. Jesus meets those people. He's especially tender with sinners and the lowly, with people who don't get their stuff together. Jesus shows up and loves them tenderly. So what what does this have to do with gentleness, with the fruit? Here's what I think. I think we find our rest in his gentleness, Matthew 11. And I think we find our gentleness in his rest. Can I say that again? I think we find our rest in his gentleness and we find our gentleness in and through his rest. We're naturally gentle when we're resting in Jesus. Because he's gentle and when we're in him, he's in us and out of us comes a kind of person that we aren't naturally. <laughs> we are, we're harsh when we're in a hurry. Have you noticed that? Anybody get kids ready for school this week? We've got six of them. <laughs> Guys, our house is like, if you looked at it, it's like looking through a microscope at those like organisms, mitochondria, whatever. You ever remember doing that? There's like bouncing off each other. And I'm like, one went that way and one went that way. And you're like, somebody doesn't have underwear on. You're like, how'd you get all the way dressed with no underwear on? And you're just like, put on your underwear. You you just want to freak out. But have you ever had like a perfect vacation day? You ever had a day where you like sat on the beach or in the mountains and everything just went well? Like even with kiddos, have you ever had one? We've actually had those, I mean, it's a miracle. We've had those days with our kids where I just sit on our back porch and our kids play outdoors and I just look at the trees and the wind blows and, and we just had like an amazing day of rest. We just enjoyed the goodness of what God had given us and nothing went wrong and nothing went bad and nobody called and nobody texted and I didn't read Twitter and I I just, Jesus says life with him is like that day. Life with him is easy and restful and, and it's full of beauty. When you slow down, you notice the beauty of things. And beauty is always gentle. When you try to hold on to beauty, it ruins it, it crushes it, harms it. But this rest that Jesus offers us isn't based on external circumstances. So what I see today is I see a bunch of people trying to curate their life to get rest to get that perfect vacation day. They want their whole life to be like that vacation day. And so it's always dependent on circumstances. I'm being with the right people in the right places, doing the right things in the right way and having nothing else going on. And Jesus is saying, listen, I had rest on the cross. Jesus's gentleness did not leave him in his most agonizing moment on earth. In the midst of it, he looked to his left and his right and he's like, 
You're gonna be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them. Someone take care of my mom. Right? Not wild. In physical, spiritual, existential agony, Jesus' gentleness was pouring out on human beings. How's that possible? It's because he's gentle. It's who he is. And so it doesn't change based on circumstances. But if we can get into his gentleness, right, we find rest. And then what happens is his gentleness in his rest overwhelms us and it just softens us. I don't know about you guys, but I've been in the process, probably the last 10 years of just softening. Jesus just saying, it's like softer, gentler, softer, gentler, softer. And I'm like, God, everyone's going to run over me and kill me. I'm an eight. I'm an Enneagram eight. I'm like, I don't want to be taken advantage of. And he's just like, it doesn't matter. It's who I am. Let it happen. This what, when people run over you, you get softer. And he just keeps telling me the softer you are, the better you are. The more tender you are, the better you are. The less you fight, the less you concern yourself with what you're getting and all this stuff. He's like, you're better. And in that rest, we discover that Jesus is gentle with us. And if he's gentle with us, then we can be gentle with ourselves. And that's about the only practical thing I have for you today is that if Jesus is gentle with you, that means you can be gentle with yourself. I've never met a person who is harsh with themselves who is gentle with others. I've never seen it. The way you treat yourself internally will externalize itself in all of your relationships. And so if you are hard on yourself in your heart, you will be hard on everybody else. And it's a fundamental misunderstanding of Jesus' heart. Inside you is a voice that says, I love you. I'm for you. Let me be gentle with you. Stop being so hard on yourself. It's not me. That's not my voice. And in our failures, in our mistakes, in our shortcomings, in our personality flaws, and in our massive sin patterns, Jesus' voice is the same. It's the same. In every circumstance, his voice never changes. It is gentle and calm and loving it doesn't matter where you are or what has happened or what you've done. His whisper in you, his banner over you is love. It's love. So if Jesus is gentle with you and he knows everything about you. There are no secrets. You can be gentle with yourself. You can let it go. What does that look like? I think the first thing it looks like we stop accusing ourselves. Stop accusing yourself. Stop doing Satan's job. 
for him. Satan's the accuser. Stop accusing yourself. Your enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy every seed, every plant, every bud, every growth, every tree, everything that God has done in your life. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he does his job well enough, he'll get you to do it for him. He'll just get you to destroy yourself. Right? So stop accusing yourself. Stop calling yourself names. Stop, uh, one person said, shame is internalizing a critical gaze. Shame is to internalize criticism on ourselves and just aim the weapon and just pull the trigger over and over and over again. Satan's an accuser. Revelation 12, 10 says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. (laughs) There is an accuser. His name is Satan and his game is to fill your heart, soul, mind, life, family, marriage, children, workplace with accusation with grumbling and complaining and criticism, which will lead to bitterness and resentment and ultimately hatred of yourself and of God, and it will destroy you. Stop accusing yourself. Second thing, one, you stop accusing yourself. The second thing is stop advocating for yourself. Want to stop accusing. The second is stop advocating for yourself. You have an advocate. His name's Jesus. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to justify your worth or the validity of your existence. You don't have to walk into the world and advocate in every relationship. Every, it's like, I'm here. I've got to be important. I've got to be, somebody's got to take care of me. That's what you're saying. And God's like, I've taken care of it. You don't have to take care of yourself. You don't have to worry about whether you're going up or down in any measure of the world's eyes because I've got this and the grand trajectory of your life is fully up and to the right. You just can't see the full axis because you can't see into eternity. You, you have no idea the glory for which you were made and where you are headed. Someday... <laughs> You'll experience, because if God told you about it, I don't even believe that, but you don't have to defend yourself. I, I am a kid who was constantly in trouble. Anybody else? Please, somebody? <laughs> pastor's kid, any other pastor's kid? I was just always in trouble. I, like my teacher, I mean, all their like parent-teacher things, like we love him, but he won't shut up. He's always talking, he's always moving, he's always touching people and things. I was just like... I was like moving through the world like a blind person, except I could see. I was just like, what's that like? And people are like, don't don't touch me. My kids are like that. Annie's like, they're constantly touching me, right? (laughs) And so I don't know if you guys have this. If that's your story, you've been in the principal's office, the police have been called on you multiple times, all this stuff. When somebody calls and says they want to talk to you, you're like, (gasps) oh no. I mean, I still, I'm like 44 and somebody's like, can we get coffee on a talk? My first thing was like, oh crap. (laughs) What did I do? And I use like, how am I going to defend myself? How am I going to, you know, it's like, so you spend so much energy trying to advocate for yourself, 
trying to feel like someone is for you and someone was gonna come to your rescue and you're like, no one is, and so I've gotta do it. And Jesus is just saying, if you would just let go, believe me, I have more power and authority and I am ready to advocate for you even when you lose. Don't worry about losing. What good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? No, 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 you just walk through the world in my gentleness and let me take care of the win and loss column. Because I didn't put you in the world to be a winner. I put you in the world to be a light to my beauty, my glory, my justice. Jesus is our advocate, but if anyone does sin, First John, we have an advocate with the Father. You don't need to defend yourself, your mistakes, your failures, your shortcomings. You don't need to worry about it. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He lives to make intercession for you, according to Hebrews. And not only that, you have an advocate outside of you in heaven, and you have an advocate inside of you, the Holy Spirit. And they are in constant communication. <laughs> and they love you, for you. So Jesus is gentle to those who come to him. This is the key, though. You have to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. If you want the gentleness of Jesus, you have to come. But the invitation's open to everyone, to saints and to sinners. Whether you're weary of religion and performance or, or weary of prodigal wandering, whether you're a younger brother or an older brother, he's saying, come to me. John 6, 37 says this, one of the most beautiful promises in the Bible, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't that good news? You will never lose from Jesus what he has given you because he's holding it. He's like, I won't, I won't cast you out. You can walk away and that's fine. <laughs> I've got a long rope. That's what he's like. He's like, I can bring you back from anywhere. John Bunyan said this. I love this. He says, I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, you say. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, you say. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've served Satan all my days, says you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I've sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. Jesus is gentle to those who come to him. Jesus, his gentleness is expressed in his yoke. His yoke is easy, right? His burden is like, the, the interesting thing, that word easy doesn't really mean easy the way we think, easy. That's why some people are like, I thought he said his yoke is easy. Well, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> Sorry about translations. What it actually means is kind. So it's more like when you say, hey, go easy on that person. What does that mean? It means be kind. Just go easy. Right? My yoke is kind. And because it's kind, my burden is actually light. My yoke is actually an unyoke. It's a non-yoke. <laughs> because you're yoked to me. So all of his promises are about take on his yoke. What does it mean to take on his yoke? I think it just means, Jesus, you're the son of God. Right? I place my trust and hope in your work on the cross for the salvation 
of my soul. I believe that through your resurrection, I too can rise again one day into eternity with you. I believe that you rose from the grave, that you ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father. You sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of people so that they could carry out the work of your kingdom. Your spirit is what brings the life of the kingdom out of your people. So in essence, to yoke yourself to Jesus means to give him your life and for him to give you his spirit. That's what it means to be yoked to him. We are connected to him as his spirit lives in us. So being yoked with Jesus is basically to walk in the spirit. What does it mean to be yoked to him? It means to receive his spirit. Hebrews says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For if we do not have a high priest who is, uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So friends, the most holy and sinless being in the universe is simultaneously the most gentle and loving being in your world. He is both things at once. His gentle welcome is for you this morning. Come as you are, weak and wounded, scared and sinful. Come. Come. I'm gonna invite the band back up. So here's what I know. I know that some of you in this room have not experienced the gentleness of Jesus through his followers. Some of you were raised by harsh Christian parents and you attended a harsh Christian church, which is an oxymoron. I know that those two things should never be together. Um, some of you were raised in a non-Christian world with harsh parents and with a harsh community and in harsh neighborhoods and harsh schools, right? And so I just want to acknowledge the world we live in is rough. <laughs> and many times the way we get on in the world is by learning to be rough. It's like a preemptive toughness, Right? So if you ever walk into a room where you think you might get beat up, do you know what you do? You try to act like you could beat somebody up. So you're like, that might just want to put off the vibe, right? That I'm not scared. But what it does, it teaches us to fake, right? Um, to put up a guard, to defend ourselves, to protect ourselves. And so many times we come to God that way. And I just want to say the problem with us being representatives of Jesus is that we only really represent him as much as we're like him. So I just want to tell you, if you have like wounding and baggage around church leaders or churches or Christians and their representation of Jesus, Jesus is the only representation of God. That's it. Just him. Not you, not me, not us, not Skyline. I mean, we are the faintest shadow of who he is. That's why Hebrews says, fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, because only in him do you really see who God is. So that's, that's one, one group. I feel like the Lord just wants to deal with some of that in our lives, which is just to work out some of that tender 
spots in our heart about the church, about Christians, about God, about the Bible. What does all this mean? And yet Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Some of us have gone through hard times, right? We've walked through all sorts of things, through pain, through failure. I mean, we're human beings. Human beings, they get divorced, they get pregnant before marriage. They have all this stuff happen in their lives, right? We get arrested, we break the law. I mean, it's just like, we're just humans. And what happens is, is we feel like we're such failures, we don't deserve God. Or if we came to him, all God has for us is punishment. And God's just saying, I died for people like you. Like you're the one I came for. Come to me. Uh, Lamentations 3, this is a random verse I stumbled on this morning. I just really felt like it was for us. Lamentations 3, verse 33 says, For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Isn't that interesting? So the afflictions we bear in this world and the grief we carry is not from God's heart. He allows things to happen and there's stuff that goes on in this world, but it is not, it's not his heart. And you realize this when you're a parent. When you're a parent um, and you just have to allow your kids to struggle or suffer or there has to be consequence, it's terrible. And I'm just in the first phase where it's like, you know, they got to do extra homework. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm going to die because my kid's like sad about extra homework. Because my heart for them is that they would flourish and have peace and do well. So anytime they mess up, I'm just like, oh, it's not my heart to discipline you, but I have to. I've got to let this play out. If I jump in and save you right now, you will not understand. So I got to just let it go. But it's not my heart. It's not my heart. God's saying, listen, if you are walking right now through affliction and grief, he's saying, this is not my heart for you. This is not my plan for you, this affliction. I can do things through it. I can bring beauty from ashes. But my heart for you is not to grieve or afflict you. This quote really impacted me. So it says, speaking of Christ Jesus, do you realize what is true of you if you are in Christ? Those in union with him are promised that all the haunted brokenness that infects everything, every relationship, every conversation, every family, every email, every awakening to consciousness in the morning, every job, every vacation, everything will one day be rewound and reversed. The more darkness and pain we experience in this life, the more resplendence and relief in the next. I think some people need to hear that. What you get in this life will be rewound and reversed in the next life. That's why it matters. That's why resurrection has to matter because your life is going to live on and it's going to get better. It's going to get better. C.S. Lewis said this, that that's what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, right? Temporal suffering. No future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. And when you're in the middle of it, I know it's hard to hear, but it's true. John Owen says this, he loves his life into us. 
So the Bible ends with this thing. It says that in that day when everything gets made new, God himself will wipe every tear from their eyes. Does that sound like gentleness? There's not one part of your story that will not be walked through, acknowledged, and redeemed with God himself. And so you get the picture, right, of a mom or a dad with a child who's had a bad day or had something happen. What do you do? You gather them up and you sit there and you go, tell me what happened, right? And then as they just, oh, I just, you just, what do you do? You just, you just wipe them away and you hug them and you just like, and then it's like, what happens? And they're off. <laughs> but in that day, you will be off for eternity. <laughs> a one-time thing. So his gentleness, friends, it's who he is. So I want you to stand to your feet and we're just going to close in prayer. And would you just close your eyes just for a second? And it just felt like the Lord inviting some of us into this gentleness this morning just to like receive his gentleness your eyes closed and just kind of considering one was just like that thing of like you know baggage and wounding around just like a harsh vision of Christianity and in response to that what you've actually done is like hardened your heart toward it and yet what happens when you harden your heart towards the negative side, it actually hardens you towards the real thing, towards the truth. And God's just saying, hey, I want to come in. I just want to like just crack open that hard exterior of your heart and reintroduce you to the gentleness that I possess. That's, that's one group. The other was just, I just really felt an invitation for those of us who have walked through family struggles. This, this word about affliction really hit me. But God just says, it's not my heart to afflict you or to grieve you, and yet you are in affliction and grief. And the Lord's just saying, I, wanna, I just want to come into your affliction and grief with my gentleness, with my heart, and I want you to see that the story's not over, Right? The story's not over. It's not ending in this moment. And you may not work, know where it's going and it may go for the rest of your life. But God says, even the rest of your life is not the end of your story. So if you're in here this morning and you have a child or if you have a sibling and you've been walking in just the affliction and grief of someone who has suffered and is struggling and was addicted or has harmed themselves or in whatever way, I think the Lord just wants to come in today and remind you of his gentleness with you. also wants to remind you that there is a future and a hope for every single one. He says, I will not cast you out. So think about the prodigal son and his dad. That father never cast that son out. No matter how far he wandered, the invitation was to come home forever and ever. So I just want you to meet God in that. So we're just going to sing this song.
The altars are open. The prayer team will be down front. If you need to pray over anything, you're just like, oh, I feel afflicted in my heart. I need to meet the Lord. Let us pray for you. So, Father, we love you. Jesus, I thank you that you are gentle. so specifically gentle to every single one of us in the way that we need it. You have it. So I pray right now that you would come and minister your gentleness to the broken parts of our lives. Would you be like oil on the heads of those this morning who have been afflicted and grieved in this life? those who have been wounded by church leaders and pastors and parents and teachers or coaches or anything else, the, the workplace, God, would you come with your gentleness and restore? Would you come and restore, God? Yeah. We love you. We love you, Jesus.